Thank you so much. That was Rob and Sarah. And for those of you who missed the very beginning, they were joined by Archie, Lottie, Lottie and Bella on vocals and Charlie on keyboards. And just now we had Charlie on trumpet as well. That was so beautiful and so precious to have household worship. We've had Kate and Dan with Sam. They're, they're in the same community and they've been leading worship for the last couple of weeks and then this week to have the Douglas family. It's a really beautiful thing when worship begins in the home and whoever whoever we're living with and if we're living on our own virtually with other people if we can connect creatively with ways to do that. I've been really challenged recently about the, 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 the thing that God hates the most is hypocrisy, which is literally putting a mask on and pretending to be something that we're not pretending essentially to be more righteous than we really are. That was his biggest confrontation and that was what had him crucified, that challenge. And so for us, we want our worship, we want our our faith, we want our integrity to begin in the home, to begin in our hearts and in the relationships with whom we live and those closest to us if we're living on our own. So we just bless and honour that worship and that household. I'm going to pray now as Chris comes to speak that God brings his liberation to us in a way that only God can, but in the way that God runs to. We've been bathing in this reality that, that God is faithful, the Hebrews chesed, unending covenant love. It's just an unending, unbreakable covenant love from God's perspective. He is in pursuit of humanity and the restoration, the full restoration of human condition. The ball is in our court as to how we respond. So thank you, Father, so much that Chris is going to come. He's going to call into light some things. And and we ask that, that you do that liberating work within us where we can receive fully your chesed, your faithful love for us that we drop our resistances, the myths, the fictions, the lies, the narratives we've created in our own heart that resist the reality of who you are and your great love for us. Amen. Thanks, Alice. Good morning. Nice to be with you. So I'm Chris, if you don't know me. Good to be here together. And I think it's, in some ways, it's, it's, it's raw and unpleasant, isn't it? But it's a relief that... The racism around the world is coming into the light and being exposed and being given um, a lot of focus. Because as we know, it's been there for, for a long time, for many, many years. And uh, so in a way, I'm quite encouraged that uh, it's being seen, it's being talked about, it's being brought into the open. And, you know, we all hope and pray it's going to be resolved in substantial ways, don't we? And that's really quite um, relevant to our theme for this morning, because our theme is strongholds. And... Uh, I think racism is an example of a stronghold we see across not just the US but across the UK as well and around the world, isn't it? And it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a national and international um, root of uh, corruption and brokenness and a and a place from which lies come. And we recognise that we also have these same strongholds. It might be a new word to you, um, which we'll unpack shortly uh, in our in our own lives as well. Areas that are are not um, fully given over to God and they're kind of root they're kind of bad roots out of which can come bad fruits sound a bit cheesy uh, but uh, that's our that's our theme for today and we're on this series which we're called rebuilders and we are um, 
you know, the call of following Jesus is always to join with him in rebuilding society. That's what he came. He said, I've come to bring, he came to bring his kingdom, God's design on earth as it is in heaven. And we, as we follow Jesus, we join him with that work of rebuilding the world into the likeness, the design, the image of God in our relationships and in everything that we do. And so this theme of rebuilders is obviously really relevant to us now with coronavirus and the, and the substantial reset that's happening in society as a result of that and in terms of this racial injustice that's being highlighted around the world. But actually the, the call to rebuild is always the call on the believers uh, and people who follow Christ. And we see through, through, through history how, how Christians have led the way, the church has led the way in in justice, in education, in healthcare, in the legal system, in all sorts of ways. And it's wonderful looking back at history. Alice mentioned a book called Dominion, uh, which she's been reading recently. There's another book by um, John Ortberg called Who Is This Man? And it looks at the impact of Jesus on society and life through history, which is extraordinary, the, the, the heritage that we join in with now. So, um, so we're on this series, Rebuilders, and we've been tracking through the book of Nehemiah, which is a book in the Old Testament, from a, describing the time of Israel about 440 years before Jesus. Um, so quite a long time ago, two and a half thousand years ago. And it's describing a time when the nation of Israel had, they had really rejected God and, and, and forgotten about his design and his, and his way of life that he'd called them to. And as a result, they, the nation had fallen apart. Society was, was, was decimated really and a lot, a lot of them were taken into exile in a foreign country out from the promised land that God had given them. And then the book of Nehemiah comes at a time when Nehemiah and others are moving back to Israel, back to the land of Israel, back to Jerusalem to rebuild it. God has said it's time now for you to restore the land. And so we see this, this man Nehemiah come back uh, and start to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He's not just building physical walls, he's um, rebuilding society. And we see through the book how he does that. And there's so much in there. Um, it's, it's, it's history from the, the people of, of God in Israel. And, but there's so many spiritual truths and practical truths that are brilliant for us today as followers of Jesus, as rebuilders of society. So we're, we're gleaning those, um, some of those truths from the book of Nehemiah as we go through that. At the same time, we, we, we run this course at Hope called Living Free, which we've been running for about 15 years now. We found it really transformational for us. And so we're doing a midweek um, email uh, kind of course version of that as well, which we're also calling Rebuilders. And, and, and again, digging in, digging into these things. So as a little recap so far, we spent the first three weeks on purpose and looking at how God has a purpose and a design for each one of us. We call that original design. And we spent three weeks looking at that. And then we looked at uh, the reality of we have actually a spiritual enemy that that, that looks to rob, kill and destroy from us um, living in our fullness of our purpose and our design. And then Esther was speaking on that and about the authority that we have in Christ to, to, to turn from that enemy voice and, and, you know, and attraction. And then last week, Andrew was speaking about repentance. And, and this, in some of our minds, might be a quite a religious word, but actually it's a, it's a, it's a deeply practical tool that enables us to take hold of what Jesus did on the cross in a very practical, um, practical and real way. So that's the, um, that's what we've done so far, and we are, this week, we're building on it with this subject called Strongholds, and I don't know if you can picture any kind of medieval fortified cities around the world, but there's a town in the south of France called Carcassonne, massive great castle city, and, uh, and that's, the, that's the kind of historical idea of a stronghold, it's a, it's a kind of a, a base of operations, a, a place in the landscape that's pretty hard, that's pretty impenetrable, and it sends out... Um, 
troops and its influence in the area all around it. And uh, it's, it's, it's used in the Bible, this phrase, uh, strongholds. Paul in the New Testament uses it to describe, um, to describe uh, some of what holds us back from living in the fullness of our Christian life. And so this is actually, it's actually quite an exciting subject, an opportunity to discover what, what, what we're looking to identify. What are the strongholds in our life? And, uh, and, and it's an exciting thing to do because we know that when we, when we start to press into these things, that, that freedom, is, freedom is around the corner. That's the life that Jesus has for us. So I, I get quite excited when I think I might be starting to sniff out uh, a stronghold that I was less aware of in my life because it know, I know that freedom is coming, liberation and truth is coming into my life. So it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, for though we, and this, this kind of wraps up quite a lot of those things, really, around the, uh, the spiritual world that we live in as well as the physical world. Um, it says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So um, strongholds are often arguments, they're often pretensions, they're often mindsets and, and so on. And I think you know, what we're seeing uh, highlighted with race around the world, we see this stronghold of racism, um, which has been sending out uh, destructive um, influences and effects you know, all around the world, gently influencing behaviour, gently influencing policy, gently influencing prejudice. And it's a good example of, of, a, of a stronghold, an area of brokenness. So, and we're going to um, get into Nehemiah now. And uh, we've, been, we've been tracking through the book over the last uh, uh, few weeks. And we're going to go to chapter 13 today. And in chapter 13, we're pretty much at the point where the work of rebuilding has been done. So the walls of re- Jerusalem have been rebuilt. And um, the city is, the, the people have given their lives again back to God. They've read, the, they've read their Bible, the, the Hebrew scriptures, and, they, and they've recognized where their lives have deviated from God's design and they've given themselves back to God. And so a, a wonderful change has happened in Jewish society, in Israeli society, in Israelite society. They always, as a nation, they always flourish when God was at the heart of their life. And then when, and when they forgot about him, then things would often start to crumble. And so, but, chapter 13 of, of Nehemiah, we're going to look at this guy, and, and uh, let's just go there now in my Bible. I'm going to read to us. It's, a, it's always a slightly harder book to find, Nehemiah. It's before Psalms in the Old Testament. And um, I'm going to read from chapter 13. And what we're doing is we're looking at, we're looking at two people today. So Nehemiah, he's the kind of main character in, um, in this book of Nehemiah. And he really knows what his purpose is. And, he, and, and I think we could say he fulfills his purpose. He lives out his original design. And as he does so, society around him flourishes. But listen out for this second person uh, who, who doesn't really inhabit their purpose and their original design. So let's, we'll read this and see if you can, can recognise who this is. Right, so I'm going to read from chapter 13, verse 4. Eliashib, the high pri- the, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I, and I means Nehemiah because he's telling the, telling the account, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I have returned to the king. Some time later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. 
Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put them back into the equip- then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. So this guy Eliashib is is a priest and he has welcomed this man called Tobiah into the temple and uh, and you know if we've if we've noticed that the where Tobiah comes in the book of Nehemiah we see that actually this is a really bad thing and uh, and I, I think it's a particular stronghold in Eliashib that allows this influence to come on on uh, society in Israel here so what we what we've seen going through the book of Nehemiah is Nehemiah comes back to uh, Jerusalem to start to rebuild the city and in chapter two it says that there are these two men Sanballat and Tobiah who were much disturbed that someone had come back to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So these two men, they're not Israelite people, they live in the area locally, um, but, they, but they're actually opposing the, uh, the work of God. And I just want to just say as a side note here, that uh, particularly with our awareness of our racial prejudice and so on, it's happening at the moment, it's easy for us to look back at the Old Testament and think, what's going on here? Why are Israel receiving such preferential treatment compared to the other nations around? You know, is, there some, is, is God racist or something like that? What's, what's going on there? And he's not at all. But it's important that we understand the context of the Old Testament. So I've written a little, I've done a little five-minute podcast, which Hannah's going to post a link to in the comments here, and that's up on our website amongst the podcasts. And that really, and I just explain the kind of context of the Old Old Testament, um, just making clear that it's, that, you know, because that, that, that's something that we need to understand. So if you're unsure about that, or if you've got a question there thinking, is God racist or what's going on here, then do have a listen to that. We can't look at it really through today's lens um, because it's just not, not relevant or appropriate. But this, this guy, Sambala and Tobiah, um, they were disturbed in chapter 2 that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Then chapter 2, verse 19, they start mocking the Israelites and mocking Nehemiah as they start rebuilding. And they accuse him of rebelling, rebelling against the king, which, which he wasn't. Nehemiah was a real, really faithful servant of the king. And then in chapter 4, um, it says, Tobi- verse 3, Tobiah mocked and ridiculed um, Nehemiah for what, what he was doing. And then in chapter 4, verse 8, Sanballat and Tobiah plotted to fight against the Israelite people as they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, such that the Israelites have to, um, they have a sort of sword in one hand and they're, and they're um, what do you use for building walls? Trowel? Like a, like a, you know, brick, I don't know if they're bricklaying trowel like we have, um, but one of those in one hand. They're building the walls with one hand and they're holding a sword in the other. And they've got guards stationed around them to protect them from being attacked. So it's a very real uh, intimidation coming here. And then in chapter 6, verse 19, Tobiah starts sending letters to, to Nehemiah to intimidate him. And so the, the, the voice of Tobiah and the, uh, and the actions of Tobiah in Nehemiah's mind were, were actually pretty loud. And, um, you know, he's constantly having this thing saying, uh, you know, what you're doing is not going to work. It's wrong. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to physically attack you and hurt you, uh, and, and threatening you. But Nehemiah had this confidence, didn't he? Just to, just to, for him, the voice of God was bigger than the voice of Tobiah. And he was able just to ignore Tobiah, recognize where this enemy was just distracting him from what God was doing. But I reckon, and this is a little bit of guesswork on my part, but, but I think that Eliashir, also heard the voice of Tobiah 
saying to him, hey, I come from around here, I've lived around here, and you just breeze back in and you've, you know, re- and you've built the city of um, Jerusalem. Uh, where am I supposed to live with my family? You know, what have you done to me? You, 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 you've, you've, you've shaken my world upside down, you know. And, um, and I would imagine that the, can you imagine some of the, you know, I guess the modern day version, sort of incessant trolling that people get uh, uh, who are leaders uh, in politics and in society and, and so on. Incessant persecution and trolling and, and, and abuse going on. And, and, and maybe it's a little bit like that. And whilst Nehemiah was able to uh, stand up to that and not listen to that, Eliashib, for some reason, has, has actually said yes to Tobiah. He said, yes, okay, you can, come and have a, you can come and have some space here. And in some ways that might sound merciful. That might sound like he's got some compassion, some empathy. But actually he's, he's, he's disobeying uh, God here. God has given him as a priest, his role in society is to help the nation to worship God. And we know that when Israel is in a good place with God and they've got a pattern and a lifestyle of worship, everything else flourishes. And actually the design for Israel was that because of Israel's flourishing, the rest of the world should flourish. So the, the kind of paradox here is that perhaps by being what he thinks is compassionate, um, Eliashib is actually letting in the enemy into the heart of um, the Israelite society that's just been rebuilt. And what's the, what's the impact of that? So do you notice where he, where he invited where the, the room that he gave Eliashib? It was right in the middle of the temple. And the temple was the thing within Israelite society that, that, that was the, the very heart. That was the, the, the dwelling place of God on earth. So right into the very, into the very sort of most you know, important part of, their, of Jerusalem. It wasn't just a little, little house on the edge of Jerusalem. This is right at the heart of who they are. People who weren't Jewish weren't allowed into the, into this, into the middle of the temple. And he'd give them this large room. And it was the room where all of the offerings were kept. People would bring their offerings of worship to God. Grain offerings and life, you know, and, and, and offerings of various sorts. And they would be stored there. And then, and then part of those offerings were then used to feed and provide for the priests who helped to lead the nation in worship. So all of this had stopped because Tobiah's living in this room and, and there's no, you know, and the offerings aren't being brought to God. So, so soon after society being re-established, um, it's, it's starting to crumble away again. Through this one man, Eliashib, listening more loudly, more attentively to the voice of Tobiah than the voice of God. And, I, I, and we often call this stronghold the fear of man. And, and the nature of strongholds is that, is that they are, um, they are, they're subtle and they're, and, and they, and they're discreet. And so that's why racism has been able to be so, so embedded subtly into society. Um, around the world for such a long time, because these things are you can you can you can reason them and argue them away to a certain extent. Uh, it's wonderful when they get flushed into the light, and, and, and we're in a time now where, where you can't really. But um, but you know you could you could see how how um, Eliashib would think he's being merciful to Tobiah, but actually he's not listening to the voice of God, and the impact of that is 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 an eroding of Israelite society. Now, wonderfully, Nehemiah comes back with confidence, knowing that actually this is destructive and wrong, and he puts things right. But, um, but we, but we see the, the, the outworking of this, of this stronghold in Eliashib's life and the impact it has on, on society. Now, what's wonderful for us now is that, um, it, it, it doesn't just need to stop there for Eliashib, actually. Uh, you know, he obviously lived before Jesus, before the revelation of who Jesus was. But it's, it's not the end of the story that Nehemiah was a good guy who lived according to God's design and Eliashib wasn't. 
the, the, the truth of, of this for all of us is that we're all, we're all Eliashibs, actually. We all have areas of brokenness in our lives, and even Nehemiah too. Uh, we don't know what his history was before he started coming back to Jerusalem, what God had taken him through. But the reality is that we're all broken people, and the journey of walking with Jesus is being restored and liberated out of our brokenness into the freedom and the peace and the, and the lives that God's given us so that we can join with him in rebuilding society. And that really is, you know, this is an exciting, these are nothing to be ashamed of when we see our brokenness in ourselves. It's actually an opportunity for us to approach God, come to God, and to be healed and to be freed up. And the, and the sort of fruit um, that we can expect from that is the stuff we see in Nehemiah, we, the stuff we see with this wonderful rebuilding of society. So Andrew spoke last week about, um, about the, the five R's, about repentance, these tools that we use. Um, to help us to move, to dismantle these strongholds in our, in our lives. And Alice is gonna, in a little while, she's gonna take us through, um, repentance and repenting using these five R's. Because fear of man is, is, is not just a thing in the, in the, in the Bible here, but, but it's a thing that, you know, a lot of us will, will have worked through and be working through. I can think of significant times in my life when this stronghold has, has I've seen it and I've been able to address it and move, and move out of it. I think the great thing about the great thing about strongholds and recognizing them is that it shows us not just isolated sins or bad thoughts or bad actions that are just sort of one-off, you know, blips on our otherwise beautiful lives, but they show us that actually there is that often there's a root, something deeper. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's control, maybe it's passivity, all sorts of uh, different. Maybe it's a root of anger and bitterness of so on. These areas where we are held captive, and rather than just dealing with the odd you know, nasty thought or nasty word or unkind action, we can actually go to the root of, root of stuff and we can be changed and renewed in our, um, in our hearts and in our thoughts. And, and that's, that's part of the um, excitement of the gospel. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm currently, I, I think I shared a few weeks ago how I've been looking at anger in myself. I've, just been quite, I've been kind of made aware of that through some of the pressures that lockdown has put on. Um, and so it's been good to flush some of that out, and I've made some good progress on that front. At the moment, I'm really looking at racism in myself, and I, I'm recognising in myself some subtle racist um, thoughts and attitudes, some, some subtle um, ways in which I uh, look down on pe- have looked down on people. And, um, and uh, you know, in many ways, the decisions that I make on a bit, in a big picture... Um, are not racist, and I'm, I'm aware of, uh, you know, of how God has made everyone equal. And uh, but, but I think there are some subtle things that I'm wanting to, to flush out. And I'm reading this book. Marvin recommended it called Why I've Stopped Talking to White People About Race. And I'm just finding that really helpful. It takes through some of the, the history of Britain, the UK, um, with regards to racism. And that's actually helping me going through some of our history uh, as a nation and just seeing racism there um, is helping me. So I'm, I'm working on this. Um, this stronghold of, of racism at the moment in me and, and, and it's I'm at the kind of exploratory stage I've got my full meeting tonight so I want to bring that to the guys there and start to chew, um, chew this so that we can, we can flush it out um, but the, the encouragement really is uh, that, that strongholds are we'll all have them within us um, and, and actually the, the opportunity that Jesus gives us the invitation is to bring those things to him bring them to the cross. This is why he came to die, because we're broken, but he has a plan and a purpose and a future for us. And when we're liberated from our strongholds, we get this extraordinary opportunity to join with him in freedom in rebuilding a society that will last, that will thrive, where everyone can share in the success and, and the benefits of, of God's goodness manifest through us and through um, the way society works. So Alice, would you come and join, maybe join me now? And can we, um, can you take us through... Yeah. Um, Fear of man, particularly. Yeah. 
So I think prejudice is pre-judging. It's literally making a judgment about someone before we've got to know them and love them. And fear of man, actually, I think, have a codependent relationship, fear of another person. Essentially, we're giving too much authority to what humans think, whether it's what we think about someone else or what we think they'll think about us. The authority we need to give is, is what God thinks. His, he, his thoughts are reality. Everything else is deception and myth and passing away. So dismantling strongholds is simply about coming out of a place of deep-rooted lie which has multiple influences in our lives and our behaviour into a place of reality. The reality that God is loving, he is good, he is kind, he is gentle, he's merciful, he's able, he's powerful, and he's just, and he will bring all things to justice. And as we, that is our repentance, that is our shift. So we are going to go through something that I've been wrestling with in my own life. And the reason Chris just talked about starting to process racism is we don't want to be glib or trite about it. it it's, it's totally inappropriate at best. But we do want to start processing that and exploring that as a community, um, speaking to each other, listening, listening to friends, and so on. So that's going to be a longer journey. So the five R's I'm going to do now are about fear of man. But for those of you who think this is being flushed out for you personally, for all of us, let's pay attention. This is a moment in history. This is a moment in time where God is saying enough is enough. And we need to get in, in step with what he's doing on that. But that's a longer process and we want to honour the length and the complexity and the depth of that process so that we do that properly. So at the moment, we are going to look at simply fear of man, fear of what someone else thinks of us, which prohibits us or keeps us from being true to who we are and true to who we know God is. And there are the five R's in the Living Free Manual. For those of us who've been doing the Rebuilders course, we've looked into them as well. And the first one is simply to recognise fear of man is something I wrestle with. There's a word spoken over me in my original design. I'm fearless and I know that I have a boldness and courage, but I also know that I historically have a tendency to deconstruct everything analytically and it's taking me a long time just to come out and be simple and childlike and just say what I believe. And I'm excited. This process for me that I'm going to do right now is going to be personally transactional for me. I want to come out of it, those, that sort of chronic deconstruction of everything into just a simple faith that I can follow Jesus and say what he wants me to say in any given situation. So for me, this is going to be encouraging. I'm going to walk out of fear of man into the fearlessness that I know he's got for me. And for all of you, I'd love you to join me in this prayer. I think it says in Proverbs, the fear of man, the fear of what other people says proves to be a snare, it's a trap, it's thing, it's a thing that takes us captive. We never come fully alive when we're overly concerned about what other people think of us. So firstly, God, I recognise that I have fear of what other people think in my life, fear of man. That I put their voice, their authority, their thoughts or even my perceptions of what they might be thinking above your authority what you think, which is actually reality itself. I recognise that. And I say from today, I completely and fully repent of that. I turn away from that. I do not want to live with that mindset anymore. I want to walk in the reality 
of who you've made me to be, which is fearless. I repent of every single way I've put a human's voice or opinion above yours. That is desecrating my first love for you, and I don't want to live like that anymore. So I I receive a full forgiveness and cleansing from every way I've not represented you well. And actually every way I haven't loved other people well because the reality of you is the most loving I can be. So I repent where fear has stopped me loving you but also loving others and I receive a full, complete forgiveness for that. This is a really important moment in the process. We don't want to rush through it, but it's good to just take a moment to receive forgiveness. Chris said there is no shame. Shame was crucified with Christ. That's why we can be free to humble ourselves. It says in the Psalms, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We're looking to him. So there's no shame. We can just receive forgiveness. And now that we stand in Christ's righteousness, I stand in his righteousness, in his forgiveness, as a new creation, as a new nature, as a fearless one, I can rebuke the enemy. So I rebuke you, spirit of fear, I say get off me, off my life, my thinking, my heart, my mindset, every way it came in, any generational aspect, I break it off in the name of Jesus. And I declare today, I am fearless And I speak the words of God, and God is my authority. His kindness, his love, his goodness is my cornerstone, is my plumb line, is my level and my guidance in every way. We we can just have legal authority top us when we deal with sin says, don't give the enemy any opportunity, any legal opportunity, any topos, the Greek word for opportunity. But when we, we rebuke him in the name of Jesus or any of his manifestations, in this case the spirit of fear, then we have legal authority. We, we can rebuild, going back to the image of stronghold, a stronghold of love, of goodness, of kindness, of courage, of mercy, a stronghold of God in our lives out of which everything comes. And so finally, going to 1 John, says that his perfect love casts out fear. So we replace fear with love. We recognise that when we walk in fear, we don't love God well, but we also don't love people well. If I'm scared of what I think someone will think, I'm not loving them. To love someone is to be fearless and speak the words of God. So I personally now replace every aspect of fear of what other people think of me in my life with love that I can love God fully, but also love people in the way I speak to them. So those are the five R's. We recommend anything God is flushing up. It could be fear of man, it could be what Chris has touched on with racism, anything. That is a helpful process to go through. If you think of a driving lesson, it it begins mechanical, mirror, Review signal. Signal. Clearly, it stops <laughs> being mechanical twenty years on. Um, it initially feels mechanical and artificial, but after a while of doing it again and again and again, you just get into the flow. I'm walking out of one thing into another. I'm walking out of lies into reality. I'm walking out 
of everything that, that smells of death and destruction into mm. fullness of life. That's what we're doing. And that is deconstructing it into five easy steps to do that. But essentially what we're doing is walking out of our old nature into our new nature. Yeah. And Rob, was saying, Rob and I were chatting before, uh, before we started this morning and saying how you know, some of these things are things that we go on doing for quite a period of time. And it's that we're renewing our, you know, in terms of medically, in our mind, we're, we're, we're sort yeah, of rerouting yeah, uh, neural pathways in yeah. our mind. We're, totally. we're changing our ways of thinking. And with, yeah. and with race, you know, and what's happening in society there, mm-hmm. isn't it great seeing the NFL, you yeah. know, repent and, and, and say what the changes that they're going to make. They're, they're, yeah. Their replacement is that they're going to allow um, players to kneel down, take a knee during yeah. the national anthem, and that's and and and, that's and, a and that's a working through, isn't it? That's yeah. going to be required in society in terms yeah. of reform of police service and so on. And uh, you know, there's a, a real rewiring of yeah. neural pathways. And yeah. what's profound about all of this is it, it happens. Strongholds exist at these different scales. They exist mm. at the personal, yeah. and we have to deal with them at a personal level we because do. we subtly yeah. influence uh, the areas that we're responsible for. Yeah. You know, with our strongholds, if we don't work on them, yeah. and uh, that's how these things can persist in society mm. and then we can you know start to dismantle them at a national and a you know international yeah. level yeah so yeah just to recommend in our, for those of you who are on our rebuilders uh, course we'll send out some more highlight some more strongholds this week that we'll ping out to you by email and uh, you know great to to uh, move into freedom of that if you've just joined us for the first time this week then um and if you'd like to catch up on the Rebuilders journey, this is, I think, our sixth weekend. Yeah. All of our talks are on our as podcasts on the Hope website and, uh, and as videos um, since we've been live streaming on this Facebook page. So you're welcome to to catch up there. And if you want to, you know, connect with us in any other way, normally we'd like to welcome you in the building here on a Sunday morning yeah. with a cup of coffee and a croissant. Probably be a little while before that happens again. Yeah. But we'd say, but if you'd like to be in touch by email or, or, or send us a message through Facebook or whatever it is, we'd love to connect and want to keep on. Um, yeah, we're looking at how we can keep building community during this coronavirus time, uh, as well as uh, the opportunity this, this, this live streaming gives us to connect with people in different settings around the country, around the world, which is wonderful as well. So, so um, great to have you all with us, and uh, blessings on your week, um, uh, you know, moving, dis- discovering, unturning those rocks in yeah. our lives uh, so that freedom can be ours through Jesus. Yeah, and just, just a final word. That Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. Sin never has the last word, grace does, the goodness of God. And there's such a gracious invitation in 1 John. He says, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we bring the thing we're aware of to the table and we ask his forgiveness for that. And he cleanses us from everything. He's just so good. Where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. Grace is abounding around the world because grace always has the last word. Brilliant. We'll finish there. See you next week. Bye. Bye.